Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. Have you seen the library lately? If not, here's a good time to learn about it. Today joining me is Denise LaFrance, the library director, and we're going to talk about what's going on in and outside the library. Denise, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm guessing that besides uh, what are you reading, the number one question you're getting right now is what's going on on the roof of the building? Absolutely. So um, our 117-year-old slate roof, which is original to the building, is being replaced And it is being replaced with slate um, because we want to keep that historical feel of the building. And another note, we are open during the renovation of the roof. Good. That was the next thing I was going to ask is, have people said, okay, your roof's being done, but are you open? Absolutely. We get that call every day. Um, So both doors are open. Business as usual. Come in and visit. We're fully open. And at this point, business and usual, as usual still includes curbside, right? If, if people weren't comfortable coming into a quote-unquote work zone, they could order books and, and they come to curb. Yep. And the, actually, the what we call our portico, which is the back door by the, um, the parking lot entrance, doesn't have scaffolding, so it's not as scary looking. Okay. And that's where the curbside is. So, And we are going to keep curbside till nobody wants it anymore. So Cool. So overall, the roof is a huge component, and and I know from working with you on the capital improvements program, the roof is not a new need. It's it's been a coming need, as you say. It's a hundred and seventeen year old building, and I gotta think that what you've seen over the past five ten years is maintenance issues that are caused by that roof, right? I mean, you've got to have leaks and things of that nature. Yes, we have. We have had lots of leaks. Um, we've had plaster come down. So we are just thrilled to, to get a re- new roof and then we can move ahead with fixing the unsightly ceilings on the third floor that are peeling and buckling. So, yes. So this is just the first of a, a bunch of renovations then? Absolutely. Yeah. People love the, our beautiful library. I love that building, but it needs um, it needs some TLC. So it's a Carnegie Library, and it opened in 1904, is that? 1905. 1905. Yep. Yes. Yeah, it's a Carnegie Library. So I love to tell people that um, he donated just under $30,000 to build that building, which is rather shocking. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it when is you amazing. figure the... Uh, the cost to do that roof right now, it's not $30,000. It I, is not $30,000. <laughs> so how do you think it's going? Is It, it seems to be going pretty smooth and, yeah. and the contractor um, seems to be working well. Yeah. So finally, the uh, slate's going back on and that is, is moving. I mean, I've never seen a slate roof um, being put on and it's going really fast. So, but it's nice to see it going back up. And um, now we have, you know, ice and water shield, which isn't what they had in 1904 and 1905 when it was being built. So yeah, it's very exciting. So your office is on the third floor. Yes. So you must get a bird's eye view of, of them doing the work too. Yes. Yeah. Some of it. Um, They're on the other side right now, but yes, I've had it's been a little disconcerting to sometimes turn around and see somebody um, in my window because I'm, <laughs> on, I'm not on the ground floor, but I've gotten used to it. 
<laughs> so you're not on the ground floor, but as I said, this is sort of the ground floor of some longer term renovation work. Yes. And if, if memory serves, there's a plan to sort of rethink the library. You've been rethinking it programming wise for a, a Absolutely. bit. And I think we're going to talk about that in an upcoming podcast, but you're going to rethink the, the functionality of the library from an infrastructure standpoint too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, we are currently working with an architect who is um, doing a study of our building, talking to staff and finding out how we work and, you know, changes that we see coming um, in libraries all of the materials that are available digitally change what's happening in our building. People aren't taking out music CDs anymore, but they are taking, they are borrowing music digitally through our various services. So maybe we don't need as much room for that. But the children's room um, now has, we're a family place library. So we have a lot of toys in the building and a, a maker space. So maybe a little more room gets dedicated to them. And, you know, just a lot of things like that. So we're doing a lot, looking at a lot of statistics about, okay, what items are being taken out? What areas are becoming busier so that we can rethink space? So this will date me, but uh, I was thinking about it yesterday. I, I was in the library yesterday. I was talking to Carrie. Yep. Uh, reference. And um, who's been there 36 or 37 yeah, years. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's part of the point of the conversation was I, I said to her that I, I worked there from 91 to 93. So that's almost 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, and I was saying to her that all of the changes that are coming and all the changes that have come, it makes me think back to Don Mullen, who is now two directors removed from yep. you, how he told me once that when he started working at the library, that patrons weren't actually allowed to get the books, that they went to the counter, they asked for the book, and then the staff went into the stacks and got the book, which is mind-blowing to think about now. Yes. But what's coming is probably mind-blowing to us, right? You know, you're, you're talking about phasing out CDs. What is 10 years from now? What are you going to be... What's your replacement? What's your uh, successor going to be thinking 20 right. years from now? Oh, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the main things that's changed is we've become more of a community space. Um, you know, so we have meeting rooms and that get used constantly. There's always, you know, people just wanting a quiet place to be, or um, maybe they have an interview they're doing via Zoom, or there's a lot of tutoring. So there's just a lot happening in the building that doesn't actually have anything to do with our collection. Yeah. It's just them using our space. I mean, we have a knitting group that meets twice a month, and it's just they're using our space. And, the, you know, they are meeting people in their community. Our book groups are the same where um, we have so many people that join them that are new members to Dover. And what a better way to meet people, yeah. like-minded people. So I think that that, for me, is what I see as, as, as becoming a community center. So as part of that, when you're rethinking and as you're working with this, this architect, you must be thinking about so many non-traditional library elements. Yes. Well, I, I think the, the one thing that we're really looking at is making it flexible space. We want the stacks, some of our new stacks roll. So if we needed to push them back to make room to have an event, we could do that. So we don't want things to be static. We want to be able to change and move with whatever is going on at the time. So I think the big word is flexibility. That's really cool. So it's, it's a multi-purpose, flexible, community-based space. Exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, who knows what we'll be looking at at 20 years. But right. Right. You'll be reviving the fireplaces and using them again. <laughs> Maybe. Except one of them doesn't have a chimney, so probably not. 
So that one, maybe we'll hold off. Yeah, we'll hold off. <laughs> so as part of the, uh, the renovation, do you see any reorganization or do you just see flexibility and in space and uh, changes or do you look at it from a total package? Well, we've talked a lot of, about a lot of things with the Arctic, but one thing we would love to see the children's room move to the main floor and become more integrated into the library. I'd like people to see the kids walking through the building. It's such a lively children's room. There's so much going on. And right now they're very separate, but I'd like it to, to see it more integrated into the library and maybe flow into our teen section, which is growing so much. And we're doing a lot more programming for that group. So I think that's a natural flow, which is does not happen right now. So, so that's a an interesting change. And I think you're right. It, it really brings those groups more integrated into the the adult section and sort of blends the boundaries to say it's not a segregation it's not you or me or us it's just a, a continuum right and i think um so right now our teen section is very far removed from everything and is it up on the mezzanine? It's still? on the mezzanine. Yeah. And we'd love that to be more integrated because YA lit- literature has just come a long way. And there's a lot of people that read it that aren't teens. And so maybe they don't want to go up into the teen area, but they would absolutely want to read those books. I mean, a lot of graphic novels that are really kind of blending into that, you know, early 20s category. So again, so if it could just be a natural flow, it's a little hard in an old building, but I, I think that the architects are up for the challenge. So are they library-specific architects or are they? Well, we made sure that these, um, they're not library only, but they have done a, a lot of libraries. And we interviewed a whole bunch of libraries across the state that used them, and they came with very glowing recommendations. And we wanted not only library experience, but Carnegie Library experience, because oh, there's some, you know, unique details um, with a Carnegie Library. So they have done several Carnegie Libraries. And I went and visited the Lebanon Library, which just reopened. And um, this architect had worked with them and they did a great job. It was beautiful. So that's really cool. I guess uh, the the distinction there is, if I understand the, the Carnegie Library's he didn't just donate the money. There was also a pretty clear plan or a pretty clear layout that were that accompanied those plans, right? Yeah, and you know that similar, like Rochester's uh, a Carnegie Library and looks very similar to our library. There were very um, the stacks that were built were actually structural to the building, so there some very unique things that make it a little hard, but are also you know they're, they're beautiful features of the library. So yeah, I was going to say when you walk into the stacks and you see it conjoined with the mezzanine and how it all integrates, the the wrought iron is just a really classic right. feel to it, and the circular stairway going down, all of these non ADA compliant things. Exactly, they, they must. <laughs> blow the architect's mind to sit there and think, okay, I got to fix this, but I can't lose the character and the nostalgia. Right. They were very fascinated with the glass floor that is part of our stacks, which most people don't know is there because it's now covered with carpeting. Right. But if you go into our basement and look up, you can see see the glass, which is pretty cool. Uh, is, is there a way to expose that as part of the renovation? I or? don't know. I, I guess they covered it because it was loud. But I don't know, you know, book trucks, but I don't I don't know how loud it was, but I, they would probably love to bring that back. Doesn't that just give the librarian the opportunity to be stereotypical and say, <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. 
What? <laughs> yeah, our, our library is not <laughs> quiet by any means with all the activities and all the kids coming through. So, and and that's the way we like it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I just have one last question. Okay. So what are you reading? I am getting ready for my next book group. Um, so Lillian Boxfish takes a walk. I, it's, it's fascinating. And I can't wait to see what my book group members think of it because I loved it. Cool. Well, we can talk more about that in the future. Thank you. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. When Dover's first European settlers arrived at Hilton Point in 1623, they described the land as untamed and wild. Even though it had long been the domain of the area's indigenous people, Yabeniki, Penacook, and Wabanaki. As this new settlement took shape as Dover, adopting the Abenaki name given to the land, Nadakana, there were still perceived dangers in the wild to all people. One of those dangers was the area's wolf population, which was plentiful throughout the early colonies. Considered to be a threat to man and beast, on June 17, 1657, when Dover was still called Northam by the colonists, the town offered a bounty for wolves, available to English settlers and Indians alike. According to town records, for every wolf killed, and for which the head of the wolf was delivered to the town constable at the meeting house at Dover Neck, a bounty of four pounds was to be paid. The town had actually been offering a bounty for wolves for years, as did all of the early colonies. American colonists, in fact, had started wolf bounties almost as soon as setting foot on the land, beginning in the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630. By 1778, New Hampshire had made the bounty a law statewide, offering 10 pounds for a full-grown wolf and 5 pounds for a whelp. The widespread fear of wolves, though, would largely decimate the wolf population throughout New England and into the West. With wolves hunted to near extinction, New Hampshire paid its last wolf bounty in 1895. For many years, wolves were seldom spotted in New England. But in recent years, there have been some sightings of gray wolves in New Hampshire and Maine, suggesting that they may be making a comeback. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Download's email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week. Thank you.